Hello and welcome to the Infinite Potential Podcast. I'm your host, Beth Willis. In my role as a coach, I aim to inspire people to believe that the sky is the limit. In this podcast, I will provide information on mindset, fitness and nutrition with amazing guests as we look to unlock your own infinite potential. And welcome back to another awesome episode of the Infinite Potential podcast. This one is a little bit different um, in a sense that both myself and my guest Lee Thompson, we pressed record and we had a chat and it's gone out on both our podcasts. So there's almost like a little bit of me interviewing him, his backstory, we delve into some awesome kind of things around uh, coping with some life-changing events and self-identity uh, owning oneself with Lee which was amazing and then he asks me a few questions which go deeper than perhaps I've ever been in terms of um, my own backstory um, on this podcast and, and kind of my own mental health journey uh, which some of you may find interesting, some of you may find surprising. So uh, that's this podcast. Again, internet wasn't my best friend. There is a few hiccups in here, but please bear with me with it because the content, I think, in this podcast is uh, it's, it's, it's off the chain, really. There's loads and we sum things up superbly at the end um, and I really think that it will be a, a great place to leave you thinking. So that's it from me. Enjoy this episode. Hello, how are you today? Oh, hi Lee, I'm good, thank you. Um, super excited to get this recording underway. Busy day, busy Thursday, but that's what we love. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Uh, day off work, so um, I'd say I'm well rested, but that'd be lying after all of eight hours off so far. Um, <laughs> so for those of you who don't know who you are, would you mind just doing a small intro on yourself, please? Yeah, no worries. So uh, my name's Beth Willis, and kind of day-to-day -day job now, I... Uh, run Willis Fitness, which is my own kind of personal training and boot camp business. I've done that self-employed for a couple of years now. Uh, my background's been in sport my entire life, played football to a professional and international level, uh, went into the army. Unfortunately, after a serious injury in the army, I came out, cut my career short, was medically discharged and kind of rebuilt myself from the ground up, focusing on rebuilding my own fitness whilst supporting others with their own fitness journey which kind of leads me to where I am today so that's that's me really what about yourself for those of my listeners that have never heard of yourself so for those of you who don't know me uh simply I'm a pig farmer but with a bit of a more glorious title than that who um happens to play a bit of rugby uh enjoys training enjoys eating enjoys a good beer and also loves coffee. I've become far too much of a coffee fiend in lockdown. It's got to a point now where I'm tracking coffee more than I am calories. <laughs> is I that, genuinely weigh coffee out now. Is that where the inspiration for your for your podcast Flat White Chats kind of came from or yeah, so the whole podcast idea I was in hospital one night. This is quite a boring story actually by all accounts but I was in hospital one night on an IV drip where I'd got myself a toe infection I just put something on my Instagram saying would people be interested in hearing a podcast by me on mental health 
got a few votes of yes, and I was like, oh, you know what, I've got nothing to lose. So while I was then sat in the hospital, I was researching how to record a podcast, what equipment I need, what what, how easy is it, how difficult is it? And it's sort of gone from there. And I've been very lucky to talk to some very interesting people along the way and hope to continue talking to interesting people with various stories to tell. And I've always said, if you've got a story to tell, send me a message, I'll listen. I will always listen to someone who's got something to tell me. I think... Um... You know, it, I think it comes up in your podcast intro, which I, I, I've listened to as well, is, you know, that kind of conversation you have over coffee. Like, it's the way friendships are formed. It's where, you know, people um, get given jobs, don't get given jobs over interviews over coffee. People uh, meet long-lost friends, family that they never see over coffee. Or you've got your best friend around the corner who you meet at the same coffee shop as a routine every, I don't know, Thursday morning at nine o'clock. So coffee just brings people together. I th- this is one of the. This is like part of the reason it was named. It is like, like you say, so many different elements can bring you back to a coffee shop. Like you reach out. Like obviously, a lot of my stuff I talk about is mental health related. So it comes back to like if you reach out to a friend, what's the first place that you might take someone who's struggling? It's like for a coffee, you're not necessarily going to take them for a beer because that might have a negative impact on mental health. But I've always found that going to a coffee shop is always a really relaxed atmosphere it's never you rarely ever see a few people getting scrappy after a couple of flat whites whereas after a few pints you might see a few people having a fight so that's what i've always found going back to a coffee shop and more often than not coffee shops do a good croissant as well definitely definitely and you you touched on mental health there i think that's going to be an underlying topic for our epic chat that we're going to have today Mm. um gonna what I really would love to know where your background comes from, your your care, your attention to detail on the topic, and why why you want to talk about the topic even more so today than maybe you might have done, say, five years ago. So, uh, I think my mental health story, if you want to call it a story, sort of started, how old am I now, 26? When I was 18, I'd say. I got a job, came straight out of college, went working on a farm, after maybe two months, I just I, I something wasn't right, and I didn't know whether it was the whole um, coming out of college, having not worked full time, that whole suddenly going from five days a week at college to working five days full time hours working in agriculture. It's obviously a bit different, and I didn't know whether it was just my body, like and mind, saying, "Oh, you're just a bit worn out, tired." Like it's a whole new experience, so persevered with it and I started to realise that I wasn't happy where I was and ultimately that was probably my first I suppose bout of mental health side of things realising I wasn't happy there so I left and I, in my head at the time I thought the way to solve it uh, I'll tell you what I'm going to run away to Australia many do get that on a, get on a plane to the other side of the world and that will solve everything that, that will do it went away to Australia and I still stand by it's probably the best eight months of my life but the thing was I was I don't know I don't know whether I enjoyed it more because I was free and away from things and I felt like I didn't then have any mental health ties there or anything that tied me to it so I loved it and Australia to this day still has my heart like I'd move back there in a heartbeat it is my favorite country without a doubt and I've got some unbelievable friends out there now like and the great thing is we live in a generation where you just pick up your iPhone or mm. flick onto your computer, log on to Skype, Zoom, FaceTime, 
and you can talk to a mate who's 10, 12 hours away and like I can sit here, have a beer with him and it's like we're in a pub on a Friday night, but we're the other side of the world. And then came back from Australia, worked for a few years, um, loved what I did. And then uh, three years ago, today actually, shit. Um, Better send a text in a minute. Three years ago today, the 3rd of September, um, a friend of mine died on the rugby pitch. So he was at the time a few years older than me and he had a heart attack. Nothing anyone could have done and nothing no one knew about at the time it was an underlying heart issue and um yeah that then shaped the next few months for me i at the time i thought i dealt with it all right and thought like nothing of it and then uh proceeded to like spend the next few months battling things in my head but i was still training at the time i then bought on my first terrible relationship with food Mm. so i'd be finding comfort in well just about every beige food possible and going from there really and then but because i was training i thought i was out training a bad diet which we all know is bullshit so i was doing that and then it just took a passing comment one day from a friend who said oh lee your your shirt looks a bit tighter and I, i i laughed it off at the time or like sort of laughed it off and was like oh no mate it can't be like oh it's muscle I'm putting on size, I'm in the gym, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And I came home and I went, actually, something needs to change. And that was then when I first took my first steps to really trying to work with my mental health. And it went down the route of finding out I'd probably got some PTSD, depression, and then obviously the terrible relationship with food that came with it because that was my comfort. Some people go drink, some people go food, some people go drugs or whatever. You, you find your own comforts. Unluckily, mine was food. And um, then went down the route. I've had counselling. And then that changed everything for me, really. That was an unbelievable experience. I probably had three, four months of that going every week, every week. And then it slowly stemmed off to like every other week and rolled out from there. And then since then, I suppose, I've had the like knife's and tools sharpened to know my own mind, know my body now. And I've turned it, completely flipped it on its head. I now have a fairly good relationship with food, I'd say. I know what I'm doing. I know if I eat shit today because it's a Thursday or a Saturday, let's say, I know that to rain it in the next day and know how to balance everything out. And I now, frankly, love training. Like, that's something I never thought I'd stay in my life. So that that is me, I think. Hopefully that hasn't dragged on too much for you. Oh, no, definitely not, definitely not. I think, obviously, a very poignant day um, and almost seems a very poignant topic to be discussing on, on such a given day. And you, you do, you see it, obviously, I think the, the light that sport has, it shines on, you know, when it, I've, I've certainly can remember probably multiple cases... Um, of professional rugby players and footballers that it's it's happened to and unfortunately they've been obviously in front of camera um, with no underlying kind of issues so the fact that he was a close friend PTSD depression and the one thing that I really wanted to touch on is how you mentioned you know you could rely maybe on drugs or alcohol um, 
And I actually, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to belittle kind of turning to either of them. They're very serious addictions if, if, if you ever suffer from them. But I think that um, turning to food is a really hard one to pinpoint because it's less obvious. It's less of a link. It's, you know, it's you most somebody in your circle potentially might pick up that you're drinking a lot more or you're drinking excessively or a change in your behavior perhaps linked with drugs but this food thing it's like a secret thing that builds and then you're like holy shit actually maybe i need to speak to someone maybe i need to address this eating 8000 calories a day of beige food isn't the way i should be living why but why am i eating that and that must have been a really hard question to work yourself towards it's like you say there, the thing is, if you have a drug or a drink addiction, you can hide it. Well, no, sorry, it's more open than anything else because you can't go, oh, I'm not drinking, and then proceed to spend the next five minutes crawling along the floor sort of thing. Whereas with food, you can easily pop out the hat, oh, I'm going to see a friend, lie, go and sit in McDonald's car park and eat proceed to eat all the food, then come home and go, oh, yeah, your friend, yeah, 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 they were fine. And all you've done is eat. And then you cook dinner and you go about a normal, but it's so easy to cover up a food, terrible food relationship. I won't say that I had like a uh, food addiction or anything Mm. like that. I wouldn't ever say it was anything like that because it's not. But it was just a bad relationship. And I suppose ultimately it was so easy to cover up because I'd cook healthy meals at home to take to work with me to say, oh, I'm training, oh, look at this food, da, da, da. But the reality was I'm stopping in a Tesco's and going around donuts, cookies, bread, meal deals, everything, bag full of food, and then just eating that all day instead and mm. stuff like that. So it would, like you say, it's very easy to cover up a terrible relationship with food compared to the others because they're such they have triggers and things that you can notice about a person, whereas it takes a while for someone's dress size to go from being a size, I don't know, 32-inch waist on a bloke to being a 38-inch. It doesn't happen overnight, whereas someone being drunk happens like that, Mm. if that makes sense in what I'm saying. Yeah, no, that that, that does make sense. And I think it's it's obviously been a, a journey for yourself and i know um ollie who's actually been on this podcast a few episodes ago uh, episodes ago maybe episode i'm going to get this wrong pick my <laughs> listeners pick a number go go to go to um ollie's episode and you you've worked with him and obviously still working work with you him. still work with him um and you mentioned counseling as well like i don't know if cuz i've i've got uh my own experience with counselling as well. So I don't, I don't know if you want to touch on how how that worked for you. Was it a hard decision to, to kind of go to that first session? And now do you feel, I know you mentioned you've got the tools, you've got the knives, like what kind of things do you think you've got in place that help you manage things now? Um, going to the first one, uh, I suppose I was probably shitting myself, if we're to be completely frank and honest about it, is... I was very like nervous. I was like, well, why do I want to come and speak to someone about something they don't they don't know me? Why do I want to tell someone I don't know about all what's going on in my head? But the reality is that was probably the right way to look at it, but I was telling myself that's the wrong way because going to see someone who doesn't know me, doesn't know anything about me, 
was the best thing I could have done. And I also picked a counsellor that was not out of my area, but I had to travel a bit to get to because I didn't, not, they're a professional. So you're going to be walking down the street and they're not going to be like, oh, hello, Lee. How, what's going on in the head today? How's the depression? Because you might not have told your mates about it. it. It's a professional thing, but I didn't want someone who I could potentially be walking down the high street and bump into and have like, oh, how did you know that person? Or like, you know, when you walk past someone and you completely just go, like completely yeah. blank them and your mates go, why'd you do that? And, and then you've always got to find a reason. So I picked someone who was a little bit out of the area. And luckily for me, I clicked with them straight away and was able to trust them and talk to them. And I've spoke to other people who have said they had to speak to two, three, four other counsellors before they found one who they truly trusted and felt they could talk to. Because ultimately, you are going and opening up to someone about everything. You are just literally going to sit there and open the book of your life and go, right, I'm going to read you everything in here. You will listen. Well, you will listen and then you will try and offer me advice. Tell me what I can do to make what is going on in my life better. Help me. oh well counseling's not for me mm. try, try go and there's plenty of websites out there to look for a counselor and go and find one that you try them try different ones it's like i'm not this is going to sound quite a harsh comment considering you're a pt but you might i might contact you come and see you for a pt session and think there wasn't something quite right i didn't click i mm. didn't find the way that you coached me that beneficial so you go and try another one but you don't think anything of it when you're doing physical health whereas like mental health you overthink it i think that's the problem with mental health really the the whole yeah the whole kind of i mean obviously it was a taboo topic for years um you know there's and i think many many people are only now kind of starting to feel comfortable about talking about it like there's certain things about my own mental health journey that I don't particularly talk about that openly um and there's certain things that I am quite open about um and this and I think you'll probably be the same potentially um depending on how kind of open you are within like rugby circles and things like that when people are like oh oh but you're I don't know if you ever had it oh but you're like loud and you're always happy like why are you seeing a counsellor like or you're you know you always seem 100%. you always seem so like you've got like you've got the shit together like well, I never thought that you'd be depressed or suffering with anything. Um, and it's often, I think there's a quote, isn't there? It's often like the the people that, you know, your friends that always smile, make sure that they're okay because they might just be really good at putting on a smile. Uh, I think that's something that's come out through lockdown. Have you checked on your smiley friends lately? Because they might be struggling. Um, and I think... Yeah, I mean, you've, you sound like you've had your own experiences with, with people questioning our, like didn't expect that from you Lee and it, it it's almost then you question whether you should even talk about it because you're like oh well is it okay to tell you that I struggled with this or do you want to know that this is this like this is normal but can I still talk about it kind of thing mm. I know yeah. it is it is a strange one when you first 
open up. I mean, when I, can't, I couldn't even tell you who my first lot of friends were that I told, but now I'm a fairly open book when it comes to, yeah, there's still some things that some of my mates don't know about me. And there will always be that. I think there's always going to be that, that some of your mates know about you, other groups of your mates know about you, but those two sets of groups don't know all the same details all the time because, just because, I think, and it's like you touched on there, that you, you're you quite open about some things and still quite hidden about others. Mm. But I think, ultimately, you don't always want to be a 100% open book, but then at the same time, it's quite nice to be because then no one's got anything on you and if anyone's got a problem you're probably going to have cleaned them out during that time where you've suddenly gone right for those of you who don't know who I am this is my story sit and listen or fuck off without without that sounding completely ruthless that is sort of an attitude that I've taken is look this is me take me for who I am or bugger off Mm. well it's, it's that thing of you know like when when you're at high school and you look at, like, I remember we would have been, I'm a little bit older than you, but uh, kind of going through high school when, like, Bebo and MySpace were a thing and then Facebook became the thing that it is and it was like, oh, I've got 521 friends or I've got 600 and whatever. And then now I'm, like, nearly 30. I'm like, if I, I, I can't, my circle is so tight and it's it's about the quality, not the quantity, and it's people that you can you know I've got friends that if I called and said I need you now and like one of them comes straight to mind he's got two children and he would literally be like okay let me throw my child children at my wife or throw them at a grandparent where do you need me to get to like where do you need me to be and it's like kind of it is that quality over quantity but I think you learn that with age and it's also uh you know (laughs) that whole social media thing without getting into that it's the what you see on instagram isn't necessarily or facebook isn't necessarily always what's going on in somebody's life it's that highlight real aspect isn't it oh 100 i saw a thing the other day it was a t-shirt that said um be as happy as what all your instagram followers think you are and that is one of the truest things i've seen because you only without like say delving into too much about social media and the positives and negatives is you only put what people, what you want people to see. You're not going to put the photo of you like on a dark, anxious day or something where you don't want to leave your bedroom, where you're sat in your bed and like watching Netflix or whatever. Because it, who wants to see that? Because then you're like, well, if I'm showing that I'm depressed, that's then going to do this. And because of the way social media does influence the way people's minds thinks. So again, it's like. You see a uh, influencer, said in inverted commas, advertising or um, endorsing a product, you think, oh, well, I need that. Well, no, you don't. So it's the same as if I was to put on that I'm having a shit day. People don't necessarily want that neg- negativity in their life, if that makes sense. Like, if I put up that I'm having a really dark, depressed day, I think people would be like, what's he being negative for? Why is this? Why is that? And it would either go, or people would go, oh, he's just seeking attention and that sort of thing. And that isn't what you want from it. So you've always got to almost create a false image to always put on your social medias. And I think that's going to be the 
that's going to be the biggest battle that I think still making um, open and honest discussions around anxiety, depression, PTSD, mental health as a let's put a blanket over over the whole thing. I think while that stigma still exists as to you're either seeking attention or it's negative there's always going to be that false positive that's portrayed on social media and there's always going to be that gap between actually having real, actionable conversations, support, action, building on conversations with people that have got real-life experiences because they're too afraid to show it in case their followers think he's either after attention or she's after attention or don't really want to follow them. I only like it when they're, you know dancing around with rainbow filters and drinking caffeine um and it is actually it's got to be in the middle like it's um i try um and i've certainly seen it on yours um with my social media to be as real as possible like there's you know there, there will be the odd photo maybe where i'm training where there's you know there's a filter and things like that but like i've even got the thing of like i put up a video of me doing clean and jerks in my garden um, which is like a comprehensive lift, clean split jerk, barbells getting thrown around. And I literally just finished work and was training. So I was in t-shirt and leggings. I was doing back squats, which yes, albeit still a, you know, a good lift, especially coming back from my injury, putting up any of these videos is something that I celebrate. But it was a hot day, so I happened to be doing back squats in my sports bra. So the more basic lift got four times the views and a gazillion comments on the thread because I had I was just in my sports bra. The more challenging lift and the lift that like was technically pretty good and there was a few kind of comments on technique and you know punch this up a little bit more or I, I needed without getting too into it I needed to extend hips a little bit more. But it was a very it was like the tumbleweed kind of bowled through the clean and jerk and the back squat kind of took up just because I was in sports bra. I think that sort of sums up the way social media works, but without going too much into social media side of things, obviously you then just spoke there about your injury. I think I've spoke a bit enough about myself now. I'll put you to the floor for a minute. So what was the injury? Like, obviously, I know a bit that it came from being in the army and stuff. So if you want to sell me your story, I'll be interested. Well, um, so I managed to get my footballing career to a point where... Uh, just before I joined the army, I stepped away from playing for Scotland at under-19 level football, uh, represented England at college level. Um, and, you know, I'm not a particularly arrogant person in any way, but I was. Um, I would go as far as to say, like, I could handle myself on a football pitch. Um, and went into the army, because at that point in time, I was playing in the Women's Premier League in London. I was playing for QPR, and I was getting uh, less than £40 a game. And there was nowhere for me to go other than like a better team within that league. So this is pre-Super League, pre-everything that's going on now with women's football. Like they've just announced today that England's women team and their men's team actually for the, all of this year have been paid the same. Um, and they actually didn't, I don't think they announced it because they didn't think it should be a thing. But actually it is still a thing in today's world that yeah. they're paid the same. Um, so went into the army because the army has always supported... Uh, physically active women has always had teams on both sides you can make a career you can earn a good wage and the career is active and if you're good enough in your chosen sport you might then go and participate for the army team or like tri services so RAF, Navy etc so I was thinking cool I'll go in the army 
I'll get through all the training, shell football for a bit, that won't be a drama. And then I'll get into my unit, I'll go play football for my cat badge or my corps, which was military police. I'll get into the army team and I'll just like have a whale of a time. I'll transfer to the PT corps when I can and it'll be all hunky-dory. So basic training was a breeze, loved it. Um, came out with like the ver- sports team equivalent of player's player. So soldier, soldier for the 14 weeks, which is quite a, you know, it's, it's always the award that everyone wants, but no one will admit that they want it. Um, and when you get it, you're kind of like, cool, like it's that validation of everyone likes me. Like I get on with everyone in the group, that kind of thing. Took that, ran with it to, to phase two training, which is where I was doing all my military training for the police. So we had to go through lots of legislation, so civilian law, military law, all these kind of things. And because we were getting a rank when we left to go to our unit, you had to do uh, exercise where you lead a fire team. So lance corporals have to be in charge of a section of eight or ten people. Um, so when you come under attack, it's your job to then siphon out whether you're going to have like whether you're going to flank left, flank right, peel one way, peel another, this kind of thing. So we go on this exercise early January 2015. So I'd been in the army since August 14. My parents had announced they were splitting uh, in the late November and I'd gone home for Christmas and we'd spent Christmas as a four, which was horrendous. When I say four, as in my mum and dad still in the same house with me and my brother having announced to their children that they were splitting. So it was a stressful Christmas um, and obviously went back, went out on this exercise little to no sleep three hours a day maybe something like that physically pushed to your limits 40 40 kilos in your bag moving it to different locations practicing being a section commander so that when you got your assessment you were good to go different practices of casualty evacuations so you've got like fireman's carry two-man lift drags it's as physically demanding as anything you'll ever do um Four days in, five days in, I'd passed my, um, I hadn't, I didn't know at this point, but I'd passed my section commander role. We'd finished doing all of that and there was, we were doing like reruns. So people that failed were getting a chance to go again. And we came over the radio that another section had come under attack. Our section was to go over and help with casualty evacuation. So it became like a big drill where the whole platoon was involved. And we had 17-ish minutes to get four or five casualties to the helicopter bay. And obviously, they then needed to be airlifted. And they had killed off one of our biggest guys. Well, our biggest guy. He was six foot three, 90-ish kilos without kit. Um, And when I say without kit, at minimum, when you're running around, you've got your five-kilo rifle, your five-kilo webbing, and chances are you've got about five to eight kilo in your day sack. So you've got a lot of kilos added on to that body weight. Cutting a long story short, we were trying to evacuate him on a stretcher, which was like a poncho, the things that classically we sleep under, just basically a bit of water, like waterproof rag. You tie that up and it becomes a stretcher, like a mock stretcher. We had him on that and because it's just soft material, it kept on hitting the floor in the middle because of his weight. So one of the bigger lads, over his shoulder, off he went. And then, obviously, he gets fatigued four or five days into just being 
absolutely ragged. He drops him. There's a sergeant behind me who's going, get everyone fucking moving. You can imagine the atmosphere. They're trying to build this fake atmosphere that you've got to get, you know, lives are at stake here. So this other guy next to me, who's smallish, five foot ten kind of frame bloke, offers to hold on to my bag for me and my rifle. And I'm like, right, okay, well, I'll pick him up. So been helped to get this guy onto my back and off I go. I put my right foot down and there's just this scream and pop and my pelvis shifted. And uh, I then buckled underneath his weight and said that my back's gone to which the, the sergeant next to me grabbed me by the throat or like rags of the top and pulled me back up and said, man, the fuck up, off you go. And as he pulled me back up, there was another crack. Um, and by the time I'd kind of hobbled along, I couldn't feel my right leg. I was, I felt like I was going to be sick. I was shaking, couldn't breathe. And I can't really remember much of it from there. Um, I was taken to the medical bay the next morning and it was just like, oh, everything's just gone into spasm. You'll be all right. Went back out to the exercise because I didn't want to do it again. I wanted to know that I'd passed. I didn't want to be put back in training. Like, ev no one wants to go back in training. You only want to go mm. forwards. Um, and then, yeah, really, really long story yeah, short. Um, my commanding officer at the time was like, look, we'll just give you all the painkillers we can. Get yourself to unit. You've nearly finished your training. Get to unit. You can then get it assessed at unit. Um, and you can go on rehab courses and it'll be fine. So painkillers to finish eight mile tabs, painkillers to walk around camp, sleeping drugs to sleep at night. Got out of uh, phase two training where um, I arrived at my unit and my officer commanding said, you're a fucking fat lot of use to me, aren't you? Off you go to the doctors. So off I went. Um, and then it was rehab course after rehab course until I eventually got an MRI when I fell over, just stood up and couldn't put any weight on my right leg. Uh, the MRI showed inconclusively that I might have had a hairline crack that had healed. The MRI was over a year after I fell. Um, Shit. Finally, upon medical discharge, I went and saw somebody in Harley Street who two years later put his hand on my pelvis and moved my pelvis slightly and I screamed. Um, nearly vomited on him and he was like oh you've your SI joints loose you've ruptured ligaments he was like I guarantee I don't even need to MRI you you've ruptured ligaments across your SI joint that was the pop um, and that would have been December 17 December 16 17 um, and long 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 story short after being a footballer all my life going into the army I first ran after falling in January 15 I first ran again this year without pain. Jesus. That's mad. This like, year. Question, like, the whole thing around the injury itself. So, yeah. obviously, that's had a major influence on where you are today and that side of things. You can tell me to bugger off if you think this is too personal a question. Do you hold anything against the army for not looking at it initially and thinking that that ultimately could have shaped where you are today and you could still be playing football in the army, but you don't look at it negatively because it's helped get to where you are today doing what you do, but you look back and go, fuck, it could have been so different. Like, I could have had four years of no pain. Honest answer? There's two answers. 
Did I hold a grudge? Was I angry? Did I hate certain people? 110% yes. Did it help me recover any quicker? 110% no. It wasn't until I... So in between all of that time, whilst at unit, I was on a lot of painkillers. Um, still managed, like I had recommendations to promote to corporal, but because I couldn't go and do the next training course, because it was another exercise similar to that one, because I couldn't do anything physical. I was, in a, I was in a job, I was in the army, which is physical, and, and I just happened to be really good at investigative police work that I just managed to like, you know, I was in front of officers for my policing work in terms of within the unit, and they loved what I was doing, but I never went on shift, so I never policed on shift. I was always in the longer term investigations, office work, basically, so that I could go do my rehab. Um, but it wasn't until I came off the anti-anxiety medication last year. Um, and I came off that because for the first time since the fall... I wasn't blaming the army for the current position that I was in. I wasn't angry anymore. I wasn't frustrated. I wasn't, who the, who the fuck am I? Like, I, I wasn't in this bubble of I didn't know what I was, who I was, what I was going to do. I felt like I'd moved away from that and actually was like, okay, that's happened. I can't control that that's happened. What can I control? I can control how I react. Pull up your socks, Beth. Start controlling how you react. Start controlling what you can control. If you keep hating on what happened, you'll be bitter and you'll, you know, there is links between, you know, the way that you'll feel in terms of mood, anxiety, depression and the way that you feel pain. And it was about owning how, what I, how I could move at that given time and improving prehab, rehab, prehab, rehab to get back to a point where I felt more like myself again. And oh, the only person that had control over that was me. But I wasn't letting myself control it whilst I was still angry at what happened. And that's it's the hardest the... thing. Moving from anger to, okay, is that, it, this is my life now. But if I stay angry, they're still going to control me while I'm angry. They've still got control. I'm still letting them in. I need to own what I want to do now moving forwards. And um, that was the biggest shift. And that was kind of last year. So that was still was quite recent, really. It's just one of the biggest things I've like spoke about recently is the whole control what you can control and then like I said it to you the other day I think is like don't let a moment define a day don't let a day define a week and don't let like a week define months and I could reel the whole thing off for a fucking year here but it doesn't matter the point is like I've started speaking more and more about living in the here and now like being present mm -hmm. and focusing on what is around me and taking on what is happening now rather than going well where am i going to be in five years where am i going to be in 10 years or who do i want to be in five years well, i don't know i don't know who i want to be tomorrow all i know is i want to be that person that embraces every moment that happens between now and tomorrow or every moment that happens between now and me walking to my like mm -hmm. whatever happens for the rest of today all i want to be is here and now i don't because if i'm starting to think about things five or ten years away I'm going to miss things that opportunities that might happen here or now because I'm so focused on something that might not ever happen because, like you say, you had a career planned out, like go and play football within the army, 
go and potentially play across all the three forces, but something, a little bump in the road, well, more than a little bump, but a major bump in the road came along and has, you've now, you were cruising down the A14, you're now winding around all the little roads and stuff to get back there, but you're now back on a path to where you want to be and doing what you are ultimately very good at. And that side of things, because you're now learning to enjoy the moment and embracing what's happening around you rather than focusing in behind you, like don't look behind. It's like I put it on my Instagram the other day. It's like about not leaving crumbs. Like never have a reason to look behind you when you're going flat out forward. Yeah, 100%. And I think like there, there 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 was a short period of time where... The way that the medical discharge happened was December the 13th, 2016. I was told that I was going to be recommended to Glasgow where they do all the manning for the army, um, recommended for medical discharge. Went back and told my unit that, who parts of part of the time my unit was superb, other parts of the time there was room for improvement, shall we say. Um, and went back, told my unit that, and I was responded to by saying okay christmas leave is coming up so we need your room by december the 16th you you own a home don't you yeah yeah i own a home okay so three days to pack up my room in bulford which is wiltshire say goodbye to all of my friends that i i lived there you know like my my wife who wasn't was she my wife at the time yeah we not long no we weren't married at the time we were engaged she was elsewhere in the army, so posted elsewhere. Um, managed to scramble a day off. We packed up my room, moved back on the 16th. Everything was fine because Nis, my wife, had leave and I was due to have leave. So it was like, okay, cool, I've got like two weeks off. This is epic. This would be cool. And then having not spent much time in the home that we owned, having only bought it at the start of September that year, and we were both posted away Monday to Friday gets to the early January, Nis goes back to her posting and is away Monday to Friday and I left the house once in five weeks. I didn't oh. leave the house. And That's mad. It got to the point where, even like the anger side of things, there was a point where I was even angry at the army for me considering taking my own life over everything that happened. So I was even angry that I nearly let them let me do that. And it was constantly putting it on them that I was in that position. But it took stepping out, stepping away, slowly rebuilding myself to go, actually, I want to move away from any... It was, it was I don't want to be on a single drug that they had me on. I wanted off of them. And doctors here were like, oh, well, you think you should, you know, you still have panic attacks? Yes. Okay, well, you should stay on them. Okay, well, you don't understand. They can't have anything to do with my life anymore. I need to come off these drugs. Okay, well, you just need to understand it's a process. Okay, well, how do I do that process? We'll start speaking to people. You need to start getting out of the house more. You need to, you know, think about applying for a job when your army pay stops in July. Because January to July 17, I was still being paid. You know, you need to work out all these things. Okay, well, I'll go on that journey. Started, you know, it was one hell of a journey. Like, I couldn't speak to somebody on a phone without crying to then trying to apply for a job. Um, got there eventually and ended up, by the August, I was managing a gym in Newmarket. Like, But that's eight months. 
with the first month of it being complete solitude in the house. I didn't leave the house. So what? So then coming from that time, leaving the the dark month, we'll call it. What then prompted the journey to where you are now, being the PT, all that side of things? Did you then have to like in that summer period? Did you go and crank through your PT courses, or did you already have them? So before you joined, I. Uh... I have a sports science degree. I went to Bruno University in West London, 18 to 21. Then I joined the army from that. Um, I've done a lot in 29 years. <laughs> so got that degree, obviously went into the army. Um, so I went on a few, um, I went on something called the Battleback course, which saved my life. So ironically, something funded by the British Legion, which is pretty much as military as you can get, saved my life like there's no two ways about it it's a five-day course surrounded by i'd never admitted how dark january had got never turned up on a course that was at lillishaw which is a place i used to train for england turned up there a broken soldier six years later eight years later whatever it was um with other soldiers there was four of us that were there like physically injured so me and three others Everybody else was PTSD or other variants of from tours and things like that. And you were split into groups and it was counselling, coaching and believe it or not, sport. We did wheelchair basketball. We did archery. We did rock climbing and I was given like a set, a different harness to use. We did canoeing in, wa- in different waters and um, we studied the chimp paradox every day that we were there we had um small group coaching in two groups of 12 but we also had even smaller group in pairs and you've got every rank there every single rank um and it finishes with it starts with a table um i'm going slightly off tangent here but it is very powerful starts with a table of like images and words and you don't know anyone and you're there and you're 12 and they ask you to pick an image or a word that sums you up right now and an image or a word that you want to get back to. And I remember mine because I saw an image of somebody holding an elephant, like a stick person with an elephant on their back. And then there was a canyon with somebody leaping between with the sun in the background. Well, you can tell what one was me at that point in time, what I wanted to get back to. And you had warrant officers, you know, men with 20 plus years service experience breaking down and crying as they spoke about what the images meant. And then at the end of the week, you had another table full of words like uh, future Olympian, um, confident, caring, loving, you know, all sorts of words. And what we had to do was we had to go and pick a word that we thought resembled somebody else within our group give them all out to everyone and then you were asked to take a picture of like the 14 words that you had um i've still got that picture on my phone and whilst i was there day one i called nissa and said look i'm sorry but i'm not going to call you while i'm here i need i feel like i need to be here i can't talk to you about it she didn't know a lot of the things at the time she didn't at all i feel like i need to be here with people that understand me more which is obviously really difficult for a partner to hear. But yeah, I just course. fully submersed myself in this course. And that's why, you know, I'm an ambassador for the Royal Bitch Legion. It's why I do a charity event for them every year, because that course is solely funded by them. And whilst on mm. that course, I met a guy who happened to work at a rehab unit who was like, 
come down and do four-week work placement. It's only in Colchester. Awesome, I'll go do that for four weeks. I knew the guy, so anxiety was a little bit lower. Did that. And then literally said to my unit, we're way back in Bulford, not checking in or anything, really. And I called them and said, I'm going to go back on... I'm just going to do a PT course as, like, a top-up because I've not done anything for, like, four years now. Um, went and did that. That was a challenge physically still at the time with some limitations that I had, but I spoke to the course providers. They were fine with it. Um, using kind of discharge money that you get, the army paid for a large part of it. I paid for a little bit of it. Went on that. Technically a newly qualified PT, but a sports science graduate and having been in the army, landed a job straight away managing a gym and did that for a year and then was like, no, nope, I'm ready. I'm going self-employed. I'm going to do it. And that's where and I am it, today. And it's just gone from there, really. I mean, with the... Like, that course there sounds unbelievable in terms of, like, the fact that you were surrounded by like-minded people, people who knew how the forces work, how what you do goes on, how everything... Like, you probably all had similar hatreds going on, or, I mean, that's probably the wrong word, or angers and anxieties... Mm very similar so you're able to talk to like-minded people and they were able to offer the same advice and that then obviously has helped you then went up to today and ultimately where you are now yeah definitely um i and it wasn't until i went on that course and i was speaking to people who would talk openly about for example how tough it was for them coming off certain drugs or um potentially failed suicide attempts things like this that I was like oh maybe I should, maybe I need to talk to somebody here like because I kind of sound a little bit like them before they went another step further if that makes sense um and they were kind of like yeah like you should talk to someone like you you're, you're in the right place you need to open up while you're here um and then it I wasn't on anything to do with anxiety or depression came back from that course, went over to Watersham, which is my local base, um, and within two days was on some medication just to help slow my brain down a little bit and just let me settle. And funnily enough, it gave. It felt like I then started to think clearly for the first time in years. The anger towards things started to drop. The anxiety about what's going to happen now like started to drop. You know, you then get the security of going into an employed role. That then, you know, I simmered down a bit then. Back into civilian world, that then helped. That was like another step. And then, you know, training people and seeing them transform, that was transformative for me. And then, you know, even when I went self-employed, which was May 2018, I was still on medication then. Um, and it was by the end of that year that I was like, I want to feel like I've got complete control again. Um, and I do want to draw that line that I'm now no longer on anything, anything to do with what the army either tried to rehab me through or, you know, the effects of the things that happened and the way that I, the way that I dealt with it, um, kind of led me to in terms of mentally, um, I do feel like I'm in a much stronger place now. Um, I feel... And my mantra, my kind of saying is, if you can control it, you can change it. And if you can change it, you've got the power to improve it. And I say that 
at the end of every podcast um i say it you know i i ran a retreat at the start of this year that sold out we had 16 people on it um and i spoke about mindset i spoke a bit about kind of you know taking tramadol which is basically a low dose of morphine every day for six and a half months and how minging that is to finish um and you know tramadol all day amitriptyline all night rinse repeat for six months and see how you feel at the end of that um it's spoke a bit about that and when i finished the retreat kind of i got to the last slide of this retreat of people that come to my boot camp people that are part of my pt team a lady that had just been to at that point all she'd done was i say all she'd done she just attended a charity event that i ran and then was shelling out 400 quid for a retreat or 300 quid i think it was um and i got to that last slide and had to thank people and that was it i couldn't speak i just i was just and i just walked off to the toilets and was like that retreat for me finishing that retreat this year that felt like a complete I know who I am. I know what I want to do. I know my purpose. It's been a windy road, as you say. It's been a few B roads to get there. And it's there's been a few accidents along the way. But I'm here. I've got control. Now what do I want to go do? Because that's, it's that's me the biggest now. thing. Yeah. It's like taking the control of the situation you're in. And it's... Life is one big game of poker, like one massive game of poker, ultimately. You are dealt a set of hands. It's how you react with it. Do you play? Do you fold? Folding's never an option. Don't ever fold. You're in this to play. And that's how I look at life. Like, ultimately, I, I could walk out. This sounds quite a horrible thing to say. I could go to the gym in whenever I go tonight and get hit by a bus on the way. That's it, done. But I'd like to think that along my way so far, I've played my hand fairly well and given it a fairly good crack at the whip and never folded. And it's what you've got. You've got to make the best of every situation you are dealt in life. And I said it the other week to someone. I said, don't turn down opportunities. Like, ultimately, a door opens and closes. It goes both ways. And it's like everyone always goes on about the glass half full, glass half empty, and like, oh, you're being negative. Oh, you're this. The glass is refillable. When the water gets near the bottom, go to the tap and fill it up. You know what your personal tap is to refill your glass. You know what to do to make yourself get back to being a positive. Mm-hmm. Getting, like, you know what you need to do. Or I say you know, you should know what I think me and you probably know better than anyone. I say better than anyone else. That I know when I need to go and do something to fill my glass back up. To be back being positive energy bang 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 and then i know when my glass is a bit empty and i go right let's go fill it up again and i think that is something that more people need to be uh what's the word i'm looking for like it connected to their own mind and know when their glass is running down know that it refills and if someone came up to you tomorrow and offered you an opportunity say yes because ultimately you can always walk back out of that door the door doesn't lock behind you and it's like it just adds to that chapter or adds chapters to the book of your life makes for this story that you go and tell people when you're eight years old yeah a hundred a hundred percent and i think you know like the it sounds really really dramatic and it sounds a little bit over the top that 
your identity can sit in something like football or, or like how my life was. My identity was very, very much something that wasn't necessarily part of me, like Beth the footballer. Honestly, growing up from the age of about three to literally going into the army, that was what I was known as, Beth the footballer, Beth the footballer. And that would have been my tap. Like it would have been the biggest bloody tap out there. Um, and obviously once, I th the thing that obviously where that dark kind of moment came from, I guess, is, you know, all of a sudden a brick wall goes up in front of that tap. But, you know, you, you know, you've got the, you've got to work out either how to bloody dig under it, how to climb over it, or how to burst a door through it. Like there's, you've got three routes. You've not, you can't, you can't turn around, as you say, like, but if a brick wall comes up in something, you know, for example, without being morbid, you know, passing away of people that you care about or, you know, a major injury or an accident or something that changes your physical abilities, whether that for me has been, you know, longer term, but not lifelong. Like there's a few things that I'll have to manage, but it, it won't necessarily, it's not now going to change the way that I live my life forever. It's just giving me, a, like I, I get physio every couple of weeks to tick things over. And I have to be very aware of how my pelvis sits, how my shoulders sit. And I can have sciatica for no reason at the age of 29. But that's as bad as it now is going to be. It's been a lot worse, but that's as bad as it's going to be. So that's one punch through the brick wall. I can own that. That's not a problem. Do I need to go back to football? Could I probably play? I'm sure I could probably give it a good go. But I don't think I'll ever get the level that I played at. So why depress myself or give myself that concern of dipping my toe in and out and not enjoying it as much then I just go do you know what I had a really freaking good innings for football I was really good I'll have a kick about with kids that are friends whatever but for me now I'd rather build my back squat back up do some pull-ups go do a bit of a fitness competition maybe try a triathlon things that I have control over because I'm not at the whim of somebody bad tackling me and me twisting and landing awkwardly. I can remove, I've got control over triathlon, albeit obviously referring to a bus, so long as there's no buses on the road, I'm, I'm pretty good. I've got control. Um, or I can go do a marathon or a half marathon, I've got control, because I'm not in a team sport where potentially something out of my control could happen. Um, and it's, that's been me popping up different taps, CrossFit coming into my life, big time. And that functional fitness, my boot camp, my business, that's a big tap for me. My dog, going for walks with him, and obviously my wife, like, and it's having the taps and just moving around whatever wall pops up or going through it, like you say, like the Hulk smash straight through the wall and so, and carry on, like, don't look at breadcrumbs, like you said. Hulk smash and go again. That's one of the biggest things, and it's something, I know I spoke earlier about, like, five, ten-year targets and not always setting them because you sometimes set yourself up for a fall. But you speak about like little targets there, like fitness competitions, running triathlon, uh, running a marathon, sorry, competing in a triathlon, all these little things. These are little things that since like the whole lockdown thing happened and I wasn't allowed to be out with the boys playing rugby, I started to look at other options where I could get my competitive fix. Mm -hmm. Like little things like that. Like, I am ultra competitive. Don't get me wrong. And I hate losing. And if I lose, I will sit and sulk for at least 24, 48 hours. Don't contact me. Do not talk to me because <laughs> I'm unbearable. I thought I, I was bad. I hate losing at rugby. Passionate. <laughs> 
But I've had to look for alternative ways to get my competitive fix. Because if not, I'd have been like, like you said there, getting depressed about it. Like, oh, I'm not being able to compete. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. Whereas I've now found, you mentioned it there, like the CrossFit side of things. I've started doing a bit of CrossFit training and I've started to get competitive with myself. Like I perform an exercise and I'm like, oh, it's not right. Right. I failed at it this week. I'll come back next week and I'm going through that wall. I'm turning up, getting off my boot on caffeine, (laughs) carbs and caffeine, and then I'm hitting that lift. I am doing whatever I can to beat that. I'll drop it on the floor and then I'll just be like, yeah, mic drop, I'm out of here, done. Completely done what I needed to do. And that is how I think you need to start getting your fix for things. If you are a competitive person, you've got to think slightly out of the norm. It's like I took up running during lockdown. I started off with a 29-minute 5K time. By the time lockdown finished, I was in the 23 minutes for 5K time because I was just competitive for myself, constantly wanting to better myself. Um, That some days was my downfall because I'd head out for a run and I'd be like, get a few K in and be like, look at my watch and go, nah, not quick enough and sack it off because Mm. that is how competitive I am. But... It's like you say, you've always got opportunities to get through the wall, over the wall, under it, or even be a crafting bugger and go round it. But just make sure you are the other side of it and not backpedalling through the walls that you've already come through. Yeah, I think I, I really love that you've touched on competitiveness there because I've had to... I was super competitive. You know, I, I'm, I am competitive, but I was a hell of a lot more competitive. Like, I was the kind of person that where you've said don't talk to me for 24, 48 hours. I used to be that competitive that I'd be like, no, Lee, I'm better. You can't talk to me for 72. I'm that competitive. Like, I would try and one-up you even on that sentence. I was that competitive. Um, And obviously, that had to take a backseat, involuntarily, you know, when you can't... When you can't walk without pain, competition within fitness or physical activities doesn't necessarily come to the forefront of your mind. But what I have used it for... I've internalised it a lot more and instead of it being about me competing with other people it's become about me competing with myself but then on top of that I've also learned to understand that not every you know not every day needs to be 10% better than the day before not every lift needs to be 10 kilos better than the lift before sometimes better is more efficient better technique um a better warm-up, a better, whatever it might be. It's it's knowing when to be really competitive with yourself and ask that, that bigger chunk more and knowing when to go, I know I'm competitive, but for me, for today, uh, it's all about the fact that I can now do this again because I, I could easily get carried away with myself and start putting things into place that mean I'm working in pain again and I don't want to work in pain. Um, so... I love competitiveness and I push competitiveness in all of in all of my team, every single one of them. But I say use it, harness it, be competitive with yourself. Don't get, be competitive with the person next to you because that's their journey. Their their ten kilo kettlebell, your fourteen kilo kettlebell. It's the same thing, different people. Them doing ten reps, you doing ten reps. If they do eleven and you do eleven, you're both crushing it. If the person next to you is doing eleven with fourteen and you're doing eleven with ten. Don't worry about that person, support that person and push for 12 when you're ready on your 10 
and then speak to me and let's go into a 12 kilo let's go into a 14 make your journey specific to you and just remember that things like technique i mean i'm getting quite pt-ish here but like technique form all these other things as well as like the weight on the bar for example are all different measurements we can use to show progress in something and i think there's loads of measurements across life like understanding your relationship with food let's go right back to the start being able to control how many cookies you eat when you buy a pack of five you don't need to eat five you could eat four you could eat three you could eat two you could eat one but you you know if that's your kind of relationship with a bag of tesco's other brands are available tesco's white chocolate chip cookies <laughs> if that's your relationship with tesco's white chocolate chip cookies and you're trying to move away from that just having four and a half when you'd normally have five is that margin of improvement um 8000 steps up to 10000 steps tracking food versus never tracked food before um going to see a counselor maybe having never spoken to anyone about issues before like we can pick apart every facet of life and find different areas that might not be a 10 jump forwards they might just be that half step forwards or they might even be a slight step to the right to look at something differently to move forwards from a different angle um, but I I really do think that everyone should have a slight competitive streak within themselves, asking themselves to do better than they did the day before, even just slightly. I think the thing is as well, we talk about competitiveness in terms of the problem now you have, you just pick up your phone, you go on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, whatever you want to go on, and you see someone, you go, I want to be them. No, you don't. No, you don't want to be that person. Because it comes back to what we said at the start. They're only showing you what they want you to see. Mm -hmm. That person might be the grumpiest bastard you have ever met, but they could have an unbelievable six-pack, set of pecs, and look phenomenal, but they're not happy. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't have a six-pack. I don't think I ever will. I don't want one particularly, but I'm probably the happiest I've ever been in my life because I know who I am, and I know that I am enough in life, that every day, what I do is me. This is me. I am going to come through the door making a lot of noise <laughs> and be a presence. But that, that's me. I don't want to change myself to fit what society deems what I should be. If I come through the door, you're going to know I'm in the building. That is the underlying part. And that is because I know that is who I am. And I... I'm enough as who I am. I don't need to look on Instagram to get gratification for who I am. I, I could put a post up and get no likes. Wouldn't it wouldn't impact how I feel about putting that up because I'll be happy with it. I could put a post up and get 9 million likes. It wouldn't change how I feel about that thing because social media is good for social. It's good for lots of things. Like, don't get me wrong, it helps a lot of business, helps mm -hmm. everything, but also... It has its downfalls, and that is, if we open that can, we'll be here till fucking 10 o'clock tonight. I, um, I love it. I absolutely love it. Who I am is me, and that's enough, and that you love who you are. Like, that whole sentence that you just, that I, well, obviously not everyone can see. I was sat here smiling and nodding because, you know, I would happily, I don't know, come come up with a figure of uh, any kind of a monetary figure and I would try and find a way to raise that, spend that, so that every single person I work with or am affiliated to could say that sentence. 
how powerful is it for you to say, I know who I am, I own who I am, and I love who I am, and I will walk into any room as that person, and I will stay that person in that room, because that's me. That's not that, you know, you're just going to be loud in a room for the sake of it. It's you go into a room as you, and you've got the ability to stay you within that environment. And that is... I mean, that's just, for me, that's just so, so powerful. To be fair, I can't take all the credit for that. I have got to give credit to one of the rugby boys for coming up with that one. Me and him chatted, um, Ben Caldwell, he, me and him chatted. I, I don't even want to know how long the phone conversations and voice notes and stuff are between me and him on that topic. But, yeah, if you want to talk to someone about mindset and that sort of stuff, tune into him. He is phenomenal for that stuff. But I've got to give credit to him for him sending me a podcast about it. Mm -hmm. I listened to it and I went, fuck me, that's powerful. Mm -hmm. And then ever since that, this was probably a month, six weeks ago, ever since that, I've been like, yeah, I know who I am. Like, take me as I am, or as I said earlier, fuck off. Like, it's who I am, and I'm proud of who I am, and I am me. Yeah, wow, yeah, no, I think that's... It's I mean, as simple as that. For for everything that we we've spoken about, personally, I think that's that's the kind of what better gem, what better absolute nugget of gold to leave people thinking about as they enter a room. Who do they enter a room as? Do they enter as themselves? One hundred and ten percent. Do they enter as a version of themselves? And if they do, why do they enter that way? And that would be kind of a rhetorical that's the right word rhetorical question that i would put out to every person listening to this episode how do you enter a room do you enter as yourself if you do who are you and if you don't why do you change yourself i think that's probably the perfect rhetorical question to end on so i think it goes both ways here i've got to thank you for your time tonight (laughs) and i've I've got to thank you um just so that people can find your podcast because it's full of gems where should they go to uh so this is the first time i've been asked this i'm now putting me on the spot um apple podcast or spotify it is flat white chats with lee thompson is all it's called and if you want to find me on instagram or whatever it is either at LM Thompson 1993 or at Flat White Chats. Both get shared the same stuff on. It just depends which one I put it on. And then the question goes back to you. Where what, can they find your bits and bobs? What I'll do, Lee, is I'll link all that as well on my on my no show worries. notes. Um, for it me, it's Infinite Potential Podcast anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Um, and Instagram or Facebook, Willis Fitness, you should find me, or Beth Willis, either way, you should find me. Legend, thank you so much for your time. Awesome. Thank you very much, Lee. Spot on. Let me pause all that.